Well, we're, this morning we're going to focus on the life of Joseph. And I realized that last week some of you were unable to make it to church. You were unable to attend our service because of the icy weather. And I want you to know that whenever you miss church, you miss a lot. If you were here last week, you know what I'm talking about. Man, I was decked out in my Indian garments. It was so good. I gird up my loins. Um, yeah, it was really good. And then on top of that, we had something awesome at the very end of service with mothers, expectant mothers. And if you didn't catch that, if you were not here, I want to encourage you to go back to our website, wpa.church, and I want you to watch that first part of that series in order to catch up with us. This morning, we're focusing on the life of Joseph. Last week, we focused on the life of Mary. Our scripture comes from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. This is chapter 1, the beginning of the New Testament, the first chapter in that. And we're going to read verses 18 to 25 in one voice. The scripture is behind me on the screen. Let's read together. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to his son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Matthew chapter 1, this amazing text about a man named Joseph. Lord, there's very little known about Joseph, but what we know is that he was a man who was obedient and listened to the voice of God directing him. Lord, he knew the power of your word. He knew what it meant to be faithful to you in his lifestyle. But Father, there was one thing that was necessary of him. It was to obey, to just trust and obey. Trust that the Lord was in control. Trust that God was working all things together for good. In fact, Lord, you were bringing about the Savior of the world. And so, Father, we thank you for Joseph and his influence. We pray that today, as we open the scriptures, that you'd give us understanding. Lord, make the simplicity of these words, make it profound in our lives. And make it applicable for us today. Each one of us, no matter what situation we're in, no matter what life stage we find ourselves, let us find meaning in the word of God today for life. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. You may be seated. Well, we have tremendously high expectations for Christmas. Uh, we plan for everything to be just perfect. 
We spend our days in December at home decorating, in the kitchen baking, and in those busy, busy malls purchasing gifts in order to ensure that everyone says, wow, it looks beautiful, yum, that tastes so good, and thanks, that's exactly what I wanted or needed. And many of us, especially at Christmas, we struggle with the fear of imperfection, That what we have done is not good enough. Ultimately believing that we ourselves are not good enough. What Andy Williams has said is the most wonderful time of the year ends up being interrupted with fear. And for many, it becomes the most horrible time of the year. This is exactly what Joseph faced more than 2,000 years ago before that very first Christmas The couple had chosen the venue. Mary had said yes to the dress. They had mailed the save the date postcards and excitement and love was in the air. But when they thought everything was just perfect, God interrupted their supposedly perfect plans and supposedly perfect life. What seemed like an imperfect plan to them was a world-changing plan to God. See, God had a big plan. He had a plan that altered everyone's course of living. Joseph, he became fearful as to how the arrival of Jesus would impact his faith, how it would impact his new role as a husband, and how it would impact his future role as a father. This morning, I want to share three fears of imperfection that we find in the text of Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. And all of this based on the life of Joseph. The very little that we know of him, as we search the scriptures, we find fears of imperfection. The first fear I want to share with you today is the fear of having an imperfect faith. Verses 18 and 19, listen to the scripture. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. When we open the book of Matthew, the first chapter, in the beginning verses, we see a portion of scripture that we often skip. It's called the genealogy. And this genealogy spans 42 generations. It begins with the patriarch Abraham, making the Messiah a child of promise. It continues with King David, making the Messiah a royal heir to the throne. And then it passes through those difficult years, those exilic years, showing that the Messiah is part of a redemptive story. And Joseph's fear is the premature ending of a spiritual legacy. See, he is a part of a big family. He's a part of a big story. And in Joseph's mind, Jesus was not his biological son, but an adoptive son. Jesus would not be able to continue the purity of Joseph's own bloodline. Furthermore, Jesus, the firstborn child of Mary, would never marry and would never have children of his own. This is not the dream every father has for their son. It is as if the genealogy would stop with Joseph and he would never continue truly with Jesus. And his biggest fear that day was actually the most profound fulfillment of Scripture. See, Joseph's fear was the very fulfillment of Scripture. 
Verse 19, we learn how Joseph was a faithful Jew because of his faithfulness to the law of the Lord. He had read, he had memorized much of the Torah, the instructions in the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It was in his mind, it was on his heart. And as a law abider, what specific Old Testament laws did Joseph have in mind when he was pondering how to terminate his engagement to his fiancée, Mary? First is this, Joseph had in mind the marriage violations found in Deuteronomy 22. See, the violations in this chapter are more balanced and set out the punishments for both the husband and for both the wife as equal offenders. Deuteronomy 22, 20 to 21 highlights the dismissal of a marriage on the basis of missing proof of virginity. The scripture says, if however the charge, is, the charge is true and no proof of the young woman's virginity can be found, she shall be brought to the door of her father's house and there the men of the town shall stone her to death. She has done an outrageous thing in Israel by being promiscuous while still in her father's house. You must purge the evil from among you. In other words, friends, this is a case worthy of capital punishment to be carried out by the community in the sight of all people. And if Joseph, if Joseph publicly exposes what seems to be like Mary's violation, she would be as good as dead. And socially, the conception of Jesus really was a life and death issue. Secondly, Joseph had in mind what was called the law of jealousy, found in Numbers 5. And it is in tune with the blessings and the curses of God's law. You see, if you do this, this will happen. But if you do that alternatively, that will happen. Numbers 5, 16 to 22, describes the test for a woman suspected of adultery. The priest shall bring her and have her stand before the Lord. Then he shall take some holy water in a clay jar and put some dust from the tabernacle floor into the water. And after the priest had, has had the woman stand before the Lord, he shall loosen her hair and place in her hands the reminder offering, the grain offering for jealousy, while he himself holds the bitter water that brings a curse. Then the priest shall put the woman under oath and say to her, if no other man has had sexual relations with you and you have not gone astray and become impure while married to your husband, may this bitter water that causes a curse not harm you. But if you have gone astray while married to your husband and you have, been, you have made yourself impure by having sexual relations with a man other than your husband, here the priest is to put the woman under this curse. May the Lord cause you to become a curse among your people when he makes your womb miscarry and your abdomen swell. May this water that brings a curse enter your body so that your abdomen swells or your womb miscarries. Then the woman is to say, amen, so be it. I mean, this is a difficult scripture. I mean, blessings and then curses. We all like blessings. None of us like curses. And this is built upon the assumption that the woman of childbearing age shows signs of being pregnant, and yet the husband denies that the child is his own. And the proof of her unfaithfulness would be the miscarriage of the child. 
See, the hardship Joseph faced was that the punitive laws, the punitive violations were part of the inspired word of God. And yet God was telling Joseph to do something otherwise. I mean, that's a challenge for us. We want to obey the word of God. We want to do what it says. But here is God interrupting Joseph's life and telling him, don't do necessarily what the word of God says because it's a new day. It's a new time. I have a different purpose in mind. Joseph's decision could have led to the killing of the Savior of the world by condoning the stoning of pregnant Mary or calling for the miscarriage of Jesus. This is a big deal. But with the turning of testaments from old to new, we see a paradigm shift in the way that God interacts with his people. And we see this immediately with Joseph. Joseph would choose to not treat Mary in the way that the law demanded, but he would choose to demonstrate grace. This is a story of grace. Already with Joseph and Mary, before Jesus is born, before Jesus ever spoke a word, before Jesus ever died on the cross, we see grace entering history. And that is why Galatians 2.16 says, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, let us no longer live by the law through works, but let us live by grace through faith. I'm telling you today that we are graced people. Jesus has come. Grace is our portion today. When we see people that we know and we see them doing things that they shouldn't be doing or we see them in a different, difficult predicament, we don't use the law. We use grace because grace we've received, grace we give. The second fear, the fear of an imperfect marriage. You see this in verse 20 to 25a. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when, then, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she had given birth to a son. This is not a storybook ending. This is not a Hallmark movie. This was not the, the, the dream that they had together of a perfect life. Joseph desperately needed answers before making that life-altering decision. And we can imagine that poor Joseph that day being so emotionally distraught to the point of physical fatigue. He was trying to figure out what to do with his mind, so tired that he fell asleep. And that is the moment when the angel of the Lord spoke to him in a dream. I believe our God still speaks to us. Our God speaks to us in mysterious ways. Sometimes he speaks to us through his word. Sometimes he speaks to us through his people. Sometimes he speaks to us through dreams. The first observation is that Joseph and Mary's marriage was to be a Jesus-centered marriage. 
Notice with me that the angel addressed him as Joseph, son of David. That's not Joseph's real name. That is Joseph's, Joseph's ancestral name. And according to the genealogy, Matthew 1.16 tells us that his name ought to be Joseph, son of Jacob. That's his dad. That's Jesus' granddad. Why is the angel referring to him in this way? Well, he is telling Joseph that his life finds meaning in a larger story concerning the promise of the Messiah. This is bigger than you, Joseph. This is part of my kingdom. This is part of me establishing it here on earth. It starts with this baby boy, and it starts with you being a father. His life was to be Jesus-centered. Second observation is that Joseph and Mary's marriage was to be a Holy Spirit-led marriage. See, the conception of Jesus is certainly not the result of Joseph's lack of self-control, nor was it the result of Mary's fornication. It was the work of the Holy Spirit. Realizing that there was no human sin involved, Joseph realized that this marriage is still viable. And friends, we need to search for where the Holy Spirit is active in our lives. We need to look. We need to search deep within and locate where the Spirit is at work in our lives. Because whenever you do, you will receive the peace of mind that you are in the perfect plan of God, no matter how imperfect your circumstances may seem. How many people want to walk and be in the perfect plan of God? You want to be in the center of His will. Well, it starts with the Holy Spirit. Be where the Holy Spirit is working. The third observation is that Joseph and Mary's marriage was to be a Scripture-centered marriage. Since Joseph was faithful to the law, the angel's explanation to him centered on the fulfillment of Scripture. Scripture that Joseph knew well. And the angel quotes Old Testament scripture that is now being fulfilled in the New Testament. The text had an immediate context during the reign of King Ahaz and the prophetic ministry of Isaiah, but it also had a messianic meaning during the life of Joseph and Mary. It's a message that transcends time. It's a message that is to be fulfilled. Joseph needed to understand that the prophetic words of Isaiah 7:14 were being fulfilled through Jesus. And that was to validate his marriage to Mary. While this prophecy does not explicitly mention a father, but only a virgin mother, the angel is here incorporating Joseph into the story. Joseph, you are part of the fulfillment of this prophetic word. And just as this birth was God-ordained, so too the marriage was God-ordained. And the boy entrusted to Joseph and Mary... Given the title, Emmanuel, is to convey a wider message to the world. That message we've echoed it today, God with us. In verse 20, Joseph is instructed to take Mary home as his wife. And then in verse 24, Joseph obeyed the word of the Lord spoken through the angel of the Lord. Fourth observation is that Joseph and Mary's marriage was to be a holy marriage. Joseph, in agreeing to stay with Mary, is careful to do one thing. That one thing is to not consummate the marriage until Jesus is born. You see, if they were going to be the parents of the Holy One, they would need to pursue holiness for themselves. There were two stages to a Jewish marriage. The first is 
the betrothal, which is kedushin. And the second is the chuppah, which is the second phase as marriage. So there's the betrothal or the engagement, and then there's the marriage. In the kedushin phase, the marriage was arranged, a dowry was paid in trust, and the relationship would be legally binding, making them husband and wife on the record. But in the chuppah phase... Approximately one year after the Kiddushin, the marriage would be consummated. Joseph was not interested in bringing upon himself the shame associated with premarital sex. In purity, he waited patiently to consummate the marriage to avoid any accusation that Jesus was born of Joseph. But Jesus was instead born as the Son of God. He had to do this in order for there to be purity. And in all of this, I want you to see today that the first marriage that Jesus ever saved was that of his earthly parents. He saved his earthly parents from divorcing. He was there in the womb. He was still making a difference. He didn't even show up yet. He wasn't out in public doing ministry. Just his presence alone had made all the difference. Well, Joseph overcame his fear of imperfection And he allowed God to perfect him through his marriage. And for those of you who are married in this place today, you did not come into your marriage perfect. One of the primary ways God will perfect you is through your marriage. Allow God to perfect your marriage today. And thirdly, the fear of being an imperfect parent. See this in verse 25b. And he gave him the name Jesus. That is Joseph's one responsibility in all of this. Joseph agreed to serve as the adoptive parent, the stepfather to Jesus, and that that in itself would bring about its own set of challenges, parenting challenges. He did not even get the opportunity to name this son because God had already revealed what his name would be. This, his name was not meant to be Joseph Jr. He would later have another son, as we'll see, named Joseph, but his name was to be Jesus. What else could Joseph offer this son of God? Well, the expectation as firstborn son was that Jesus would receive the inheritance, that Jesus would be the one to carry on the family name. But unbeknownst to him, to Joseph, Jesus' destiny was to not live past the age of 33 years old, but to die We know from Scripture that Joseph would certainly have other opportunities to parent his own biological children since Jesus had other half-brothers and sisters born after his arrival. Matthew 13, 55 and Mark 6, verse 3 record brothers named James and Joseph, Simon and Judas, and alludes to Jesus having sisters, but we don't even know their names. We're aware that James was one of the main leaders in the church of Jerusalem, was also the author of the epistle James. And we are also aware that Jude was likely the author of the epistle Jude. But growing up, they didn't have the greatest relationship with Jesus. Growing up, Jesus' identity would be derived from a split parentage of being the heavenly son of God and being known as the earthly son of Joseph. I mean, there's this complex in his mind, and especially in Joseph's mind. 
Now, there's no doubt that Joseph struggled with this internally. There is no human being that has ever experienced what Joseph uniquely experienced as the adoptive father of Jesus. Well, when is the last time we see Jesus? Really, the next time we see Jesus, apart from his consecration at the temple. Well, the last time we see Joseph is when Jesus was 12 years old, lost in Jerusalem during the celebration of the Passover. Well, Luke 2, 45 to 50 documents the story. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Jesus clearly was not about Joseph's business as a carpenter. Jesus bypassed his association with his earthly adoptive father and his business, and he appealed to his heavenly father's business. Verse 50 reveals that Joseph and Mary had the inability to comprehend the meaning of Jesus' words. It is as if they had lost sight of who Jesus is and why he was born and who he was promised to be. And even at 12, this is a foreshadowing of the ministry that is to come. On another occasion, Matthew 13 53 to 57, we see a record of the people of Nazareth's rejection of Jesus. Scripture says when Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there and coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue and they were amazed. Where did this man get wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? I mean, come on. Isn't his mother's name Mary, and aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. See, this must be understood as an insult, especially in light of the fact that Joseph was deceased by this time. They couldn't even call him by his name. He was this nameless carpenter. Jesus, you come from that guy, that guy, that carpenter, that woodworker, Jesus, you weren't born into a rich family. Jesus, you were not educated by rabbis. Jesus, you were not born into an aristocratic family. How can such extraordinary things be done by a person who belongs to an ordinary family and to an ordinary father? Unfortunately, church tradition suggests that Joseph died at an early age, and Joseph never saw the fulfillment of his own obedience because he never lived to see Jesus' ministry. That must have been hard for him as a father. Never knowing what Jesus would really turn into, knowing all these biblical promises and the fulfillment of Scripture upon his life, knowing that the Holy Spirit was upon him, yet never being able to see it come to pass. In another way, I thought to myself it was good because he did not have to bear the sorrow of seeing his son hang on the cross like Mary did. But in life, friends, Joseph would have to have realized that he was not a failure as a parent. 
He wasn't a failure. He did what the Lord asked him to do. Jesus had a greater parent, one not of human or earthly origin, but one of divine and eternal origin. And his focus on pleasing his heavenly father instead of his earthly father was not a personal thing. It was a purposeful thing. He had to focus on his mission of perfecting an imperfect people, people like you and me. And this man coming to terms with the fact that Jesus' perfection could not be drawn from Joseph's, Joseph's imperfection, but only from God's perfection. So friends, do not follow what others say a perfect parent should be. Instead, allow our perfect God to guide us to be the perfect parent. We are meant, the, the, the parent, not the perfect parent. It's okay that we're imperfect, but the best parent that we can be, the most godly parent that we can ever be. So as we conclude this morning, I've given you an overview of Joseph's life, but I wonder how you and I can relate to him today. How do we find application for our lives? Well, I believe today it's time for us to deal with our fear of imperfection. How many people are afraid of something? How many people have fear today? You're sitting in this place and you're saying, yeah, pastor, I can agree with that. I have some fears in my life that I need to deal with. I don't want to carry them into this Christmas. See, when you gather with family and friends this Christmas, there is going to be this temptation to project perfection. Let me be honest with you. You're going to want to project this perfection, this perfection of having a perfect faith, this perfection of having a perfect marriage, this perfection of being the perfect parent. But the reality is none of us are perfect because if we were perfect, we wouldn't need a Savior named Jesus Christ. In reality, all of us are a work in progress. And Christmas is all about the Father sending His Son, a perfect Savior for an imperfect people. So why not just confess our imperfections? Why not just be honest about who we really are? Take the stress off your shoulders. Take the weight off your mind. And come before Jesus, the perfect Savior of the world. What fears of imperfection will you surrender him, to Him today? I love this scripture, John, 1 John 4, 18. And I paraphrase it today. It is the perfect love of God in his perfect son, Jesus, that drives out all fear. Friends, if you want to eliminate fear from your lives, the fear of imperfection, you need to fix your eyes on Jesus. No one but Jesus. Jesus will transform your life. Jesus will remove your fears of imperfection. You can trust on Jesus this Christmas. Let's pray.